Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. In yesterday's kicks, it goes back and forth, and then you look at, you know, deflected balls that could ricochet and go back in, the one that doesn't, you know, you're trying to use the stutter step that then doesn't work. And at some point, you want to say, just kick the ball. My, my favorite part of yesterday is I'm, I'm prepping some, uh, some pieces for early dinner, and Walker is, uh, is waiting patiently to watch his new favorite show, Paw Patrol, which is a whole can of worms we can't get into. And I, I, I just sort of hear you move up next to him on the couch, and you go, Soccer? What's the deal with soccer? I, I don't really get it. And he just looks at it and he goes, yeah, well, you kicked the ball. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So we're a man down today. Uh, we can't connect with Nigel. When Nigel, it's for all I know. Whereabouts unknown. Unknown. It's possible that Vlad Guerrero hit a line drive that didn't hit Scherzer and hit Nigel. It's very possible, and he's out. That was a great moment. I mean, Vlad Guerrero last night, he hits one. And Scherzer, and this is, I think I have this right. Scherzer has given up home runs to Vlad Guerrero Sr. and Vlad Guerrero Jr. When he gets to both. And he's going to the Hall of Fame, you know. So, But then the best part is when he walks off the field and he gives Scherzer like a hug. A hug. He hits it back towards the mound at about 7,000 miles an hour. And it, it, it escapes hitting Scherzer. And you, you realize, you, you, you look at Vlad Guerrero Jr., he's a beast. I mean, he's really... Fernando Tatis Jr. is tremendously exciting and theatrical yes. in the way he moves on the field. Vlad Guerrero Jr. is simply a beast of a but, hitter. But then you look at the home run swing and the fluidity of that as he connects with the ball. It's not bang. just no doubter. It, it, it just has grace to it. Bang. Just total bang. That was good. I, I Look, I'm not going to lie to you. We'll get to Richard Justice later. I watched about an inning of the All-Star game but because I watched exactly what I wanted to see. You heard me complain for a week or so that Max Scherzer should have been named to the All-Star team and wasn't with his record this year, his ERA and his strikeouts. Before the Grand Slam. Yeah. Yeah. And then he gets in. He gets into the All-Star game essentially as an alternate. Somebody drops out. And then they start him. They give him the ball. They understand. Take the bump. <laughs> they understand that he's the best thing they've got. You know, he and DeGrom, and DeGrom didn't play, right? Yeah, passed it off to his teammate, right. I think. So, so that's what happened. If DeGrom's not going to start, you may as well start Scherzer. So he gets to start, and what I want to see is Scherzer pitch to Otani. I mean, I think if you're a baseball fan, that's what you want to see. You want to see a Hall of Fame pitcher against the sort of, and I'm not going to say that Tatis and Guerrero Jr. aren't phenoms, but what Otani is doing, we've never seen before, to be a starter in the All-Star game as a pitcher and a hitter, and they're going to bat him first, which uh, that sort of surprised me. A lot of Get, tape on him from the night before, yeah. pitch him outside. <laughs> right, give him as many at-bats as you can, and Scherzer got him out. You know, hit, hit uh, ground ball to second. I think, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if I, I, yeah, I think the first two were up the right side. Yeah, ground ball to second, so... So that was really what I wanted to see. So I love the I love the moments in the early part of the game where they mic people up. So Xander comes up and I think it's in the bottom. He goes, "What do you expect?" And goes, "Fastball, fastball, <laughs> right lower lower portion." He goes, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Yeah. And then you get I think an inning or two later, Freddie Friedman, who's just he's he's so easy to like in baseball, and he talks about how his kid, who I think is five, he now has memories and he gets to go up and meet Tatis, and they have they have the package of him. <clears throat> excuse me, of him walking up and getting the high five and a hug from Tatis. And this is somebody who is a perennial all-star who is the face of the Braves. I know they got the young talent, but he's so excited for his kid and he's so complimentary of these other up-and-coming players. It is an interesting thing to me, and I think we may have talked about this before, about Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman kills the Nats. He, everybody has one team that they're great against. All great players have at least one. Enough. And he plays the Nats a lot and he destroys the Nats. And I, I, I don't even want to hate him. He seems so likable. Every time he's at first base as a runner who's ever playing first for the Nats, gets in a conversation with him and likes him. And when he's on first base, whoever the Nats have on first base, they get in a conversation. He seems to be the most likable fellow in baseball. Yeah, I've never that. met him. I don't know anything about him other than that. You saw that with the, with the Cubs earlier in the, earlier in the spring where Rizzo and, and you're just going back and forth like, Freddie. <laughs> just... It seems remarkable. All right. Um, so we'll talk to Richard Justice about that. We will talk to Steve Sands uh, later in the show about the British Open. Yes, for those of you who are wondering, indeed, it was my birthday yesterday. Um, I run away from PTI on my birthday because I don't want to get involved in having to talk about how old I am. For all of the people who have sent me uh, messages, I, re I respond pretty much always the same. I just say I am old 
bordering on ancient. Thank you very much. And I try to move on. <clears throat> and the problem, of course, is that then there's a re-engagement and you're not that old. And I go, really, I am that old. I'm a lot older. And then just goes. Well, it's the wraparound effect because you can tell when the, when the pings start to come more frequently, then PTI has done something in the happies for yeah. you. Yeah. And then you have to deal with it into the night, which for you is pushing 830. Yeah, which is a long time for me because I really want to be out by nine. Um, one more time this week, I will talk about the Junior Girls event at, uh, at Columbia Country Club. It's free if you're in the area. You can walk our beautiful golf course. Um, you can see how the Purple Line has destroyed it and how we have, with the aid of the USGA, put up a lot of tarps and we've tried to camouflage and cover the gouging that the Purple Line has done with tarps and USGA signs, which are really quite nice. And the course looks great. It, you know, a USG event, USGA event is something you can be very, very proud of. There was one a couple of years ago, or was it last year at Woodmont? Woodmont, yeah. the 2020. The, the, yeah, the first USGA Women's event amateur. After, you know, so we're after the quarantine, which yeah. was won by the medalist here at Columbia, Rose we'll, Zhang. We'll get to her in a second, but I remember when the socialite was out there a lot, walking the course, and very proud. Yeah, Everybody's always proud if their place um, whenever is, a course, is Whenever something. a course that, that you play regularly is in the spotlight, you always go like, oh, you can't get up and down from there. That bunker, you got to know better. You can't hit it in that bunker. So as Michael mentioned, Rosa Zhang, who is a young woman from Irvine, California, and she won last year at 17 years old. She won at Woodmont. She is now 18. She qualifies for the junior girls. I'm sure she just went inside the line by a month or two, whatever the cutoff was. She shot 62 yesterday. To put this in perspective, and she's playing basically from the white tees, basically from the member tees. She's pushed up on a couple of holes. She's pushed up, but she's not pushed up hundreds of yards or anything like that. She's playing the tees that we all sort of play most of the time with a little bit of an advantage. I grant you that. I reach 62 on number 12 most of the time. I mean, I stink. She shot 62 for the entire round. And you can say, well, it's a shorter course. I don't care. How long the course? Well, Michael, you know better than you I. You still have to make the putt. 62. That's Six, eight 62 under. Without a, without a birdie on number 12 and number 17, which birdie traditionally hole. are birdie holes or at least give you good chances. So 62 is eight under. Um, it's, she had no bogeys at all. It's really, it's a remarkable score wherever you're playing from. But what is interesting about this is that she had the lowest, she had two days of, these are qualifying rounds to get you from 156 players to 64 players. But when you get to 64 players, then it's the NCAA basketball tournament. Then it doesn't matter what your total number is. That doesn't matter at all. You have to win more holes than the other person you're playing. That change, you explain this, Michael, that changes the level of competition. The you have to be well, it doesn't the, give you four, a different kind of best player. It doesn't give you four full quarters to try and get back. So there's, there's no real way to get back. Uh, and what's so interesting for her, she's probably only played this course a handful of times. Obviously, you had the two, the two rounds through uh, the stroke play. But now you're trying to figure out, okay, where am I going to try and be a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more assertive, particularly if I'm coming in as the one seat or the higher seat. Yeah. Because we have, I, I would say it's a hard, it's an, it's an unassuming and hard opening stretch. And then you can sort of ride that out if you get out to that early lead. And some of the holes, you might not get to some of those scorable, I would say, uh, round-changing holes that are so important for, say, the two of us, if we're playing a club match with Jimmy Crilly, uh, 16, 17, 18, you might not get to those. You always say, can we get to the other side of the tracks? And if, and if you can get out to that early lead, you could close it out before then. So it's, it's just a different deal. If she plays a, a girl who, you know, in the first five holes throws in three bombs, you don't know what that psychologically does to her. You don't, it's, it's it changes really, everything. All of a sudden you might be, you know, you might be standing on the 18th tee one down. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just a weird thing. It, it's not every stroke doesn't count. You can pick up. I mean, you can, yeah, good, you good. Know, you, yeah. You can just pick up Let's at go. some point and, and it, and it's just, it's really a different way of playing. Michael, which is harder? Do you, you've played both, which is harder? I, I, in terms of match play or stroke play? Yeah. I think if for many of these players in this tournament, stroke play is what they do every single week. They're playing those competitions. They know exactly how to control their game. And so it's, it's for some of them out of their 
out of their thinking to be more aggressive or more assertive if they're trying to get into a match play mindset. I always enjoyed match play because it gave you it gave you a little bit of that bumper if you had that hole that you had to move on from, and you can try and shrink the round into say a, a mini three hole round. Can I can I pick one hole up here before we get to the turn? But it comes down to mindset. Can I describe how you played yesterday? Because I thought you played very well. Sure. Michael played very well. We started, I, I'm not going to go into specific details uh, shot by shot, but we started on the back nine and Michael was three under at the end of the back nine and then had a hiccup or two. A few the, hiccups. On the on oh, one, rinsed, two, three. Rinsed a ball. Yeah, rinsed a ball on Came three. Came back with a birdie after that, no right. big deal. Yeah, five birdies in a round, a very good. A great way to celebrate my dad's birthday. The day before I started to, uh, I started to try out the Ron Darling play i'm not sure if you noticed this. i did i, I teed, did i teed off with a few irons just few to, irons to so that back. if right so that it that we could be in approximately the same place if i hit the drive well which i did once or twice yeah now the the highlight was i think it was on our ninth hole which was the 18th and alan goes into great deal great detail describing a recent match he had with gary as his partner <laughs> gary that's how their Williams. opponents tried to coach up the old ball coach uh, gary he wasn't listening to most of it. He was, yeah, the Gary answer was wonderful. All right, we will take a break when we come back. Later in the show, we'll do Steve Sands with golf. When we come back, Richard Justice will talk about all things baseball. And let me tell you again, if you're in the area and you want to go, Columbia is at the corner of East West Highway and Connecticut Avenue. You know, don't, I mean, don't take a private jet in. Don't, although you could, because there's like four days of it, right? Yeah. There's Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday of, of match play. It, it's course is lovely, although I will concede it's about 3,000 degrees outside. Snack, it's not snack as, bar eight. Yeah, it's not as hot as North Scottsdale, but that, of course, is a dry heat. Uh, we'll take a break. Richard Justice, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. So this is the Vincero ad, and I have personal history after I get done with the ad. Vincero is the premier maker of men's and women's accessories. These guys sell everything from watches to sunglasses, bracelets, and wallets, all available for under $200. Vincero knows just how important it is to look and feel your best, and they are here to help you keep feeling good wherever you go. That's why they create watches and sunglasses that are stylish, classy, and affordable. Everything they make in-house is built to last and won't break the bank. They uh, believe you deserve to look good no matter what your budget is. They make it so you don't have to choose between function, looks, or price. They are the best of those three worlds. Head over to VinceroCollective.com. That's a different thing. It's not just Vincero. No, it's VinceroCollective.com slash Tony. And check out those great products and take, endorse, take advantage of their special discount of 15% off your order. Vincero understands the frustrations of online shopping. These guys get it, and that's why they make it as easy as possible for you. Every purchase automatically comes with a five-year warranty and a 365-day return policy. It's stress-free shopping with honest and fair prices. Now we get off script a little bit. I got watches for Elizabeth and Ron, and they came the other day, and I was able to give those watches to Elizabeth and Ron yesterday. The watch for Ron and Michael... It, You've, you've Why don't I take care of this? Go ahead. So crown B, which is going to control time, date, those settings. Normally, you can pull this out to various positions, which allow you to make those changes and lock the time in place. We were able to twist crown B, but not able to pull this out to make those changes. So I just said to you, get on the phone, write an email, and this is where they get it. How quickly did you get a response? I wrote an email to them. I said I had this watch. It didn't seem to be functioning correctly. Within five minutes... They got back to me and said, we'll, we'll do everything to make it right. Yeah, take pictures. You know, take just video. take pictures and, and let us know what it is, and then we'll, we'll make it right. And that's, look, it rarely happens. But when it happens, that's what customer service is. Here's what customer service isn't. The inability to help you buy wine glasses. That's not customer service. You've heard that story from me. What customer service is, is... You have one of our products, you have a watch, we'll make it right. So get yourself the best watch for the lowest price out there. Go to VinceroCollective.com forward slash Tony. Head over to their website right now. Get yourself a timepiece. Go to their link for 15% off plus free shipping. This is a buy you won't regret. Vincero, V-I-N-C-E-R-O, VinceroCollective.com slash Tony. Use the code, people. 
You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a song called This Life is But a Dream. And I'm going to read the email from Brian Gregory in San Francisco. I've been a massive fan since I was a kid and watched the sports reporters every Sunday with my dad, never mind over two decades of the PTI show, and a daily listener since I discovered your radio show in 2013 during an extended stay in Silver Spring, Maryland. Shout out to Crisfield Seafood. As a small thanks for all those years of insight, DC sports fan misery and joy, and general friendship and laughter, I hope you enjoy these songs, of which I am the songwriter and copyright holder, not Paul McCartney, thank you, Nigel, by my ongoing song writing project, Mockery and Robbery. Nothing would make me happier than to hear them on the podcast rejoin one day, should you like them. Thanks for everything that you do, and the gang have given so much to so many people over the years without even realizing it. Brian Gregory in San Francisco will play two songs by him today. This again is, This Life is But a Dream. And he plays in Richard Justice, who, and I would imagine, Richie, that even though you are not day-to-day covering baseball and doing cage time and getting in the locker room, I would imagine like a dog at the firehouse, like me, <laughs> you find you find the all-star break and the home run derby and the game irresistible, right? I mean, you drop everything to watch it, right? 100% irresistible. And, and not only that, and this is inside politics, like, I'm thinking, okay, it's it's lunchtime on Tuesday. We've got Rob Manford and Tony Clark in a room to ourselves, and we're asking yeah. this, we're asking that, the Futures game. Yeah, and I thought it was it's what it is. It's what baseball has done is turned it into a three-day showcase for the sport, beginning with the Futures game on Sunday, and I thought they did a fabulous job. You know, to have 42 first-time All-Stars, you say, well, this guy skipped, this guy skipped, 14 players, I think, skipped. But I think the country ought to know who fans ought to know who Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr. and Timmy Tim Anderson are. And then the tribute to Hank Aaron and the nine other Hall of Famers who died since the last year. When I saw uh, Billy Aaron walk yeah. out there, it yeah. Hank's widow with with Freddie uh, Freeman and Aaron Judge, I went, "Oh my God!" Because you, you know Hank's a great player, but Hank was looked at. Hank was one of those guys that even in a room of Hall of Famers, when Hank entered the room. There was silence in the room. That's what. That's how Hank Aaron was seen. And so I, I thought they did a, a great job. And you know, <clears throat> and one of the things <laughs> the last two days became was a showcase for Shohei Otani. And people have to stop saying, you know, first since Babe Ruth, this, that, and the other. Well, we've never seen a guy like this. We've never seen a guy that can throw a ball 100 miles an hour and hit a ball 110 miles an hour. Were you? Um, I, I, I'm not completely up to speed on this i just sort of read a headline that manfred said that the seven inning double headers and that the start in the 10th inning on second base are not long for for baseball right i was surprised I by that because i think they're very fan friendly things yeah i think he just feels like let's go back to the way it was it was good enough the way the way the way it was before and i don't know that having a runner on second base to start the 10th inning I don't know that it shortens the game any because they score, you score, that you score, we score down the line. The the more interesting thing that he said was, I think we're we're going to ban the ships now. All of this has to be done in the context of a new labor agreement, but I think yeah. they're going to they're going to reach a point. And and the analytics people, the guys who came up with the ships, will say you got to be careful of the unintended consequences. But I think next year. We're going to see a third baseman and a shortstop on the left side of the infield and a second baseman and a first baseman on the right side of the field. And just try it and, and see if it works because the game, you know, I, who was it? Was it Bill Simmons said baseball is like the Hollywood starlet, the aging Hollywood starlet that's trying yeah. too hard. But you can't just sit back on your hands and say, uh, let's don't do anything, you know. You saw those uniforms, those all-star uniforms. Well, how did those come to be? You know, because I want to see my player in our uniform. This is the first time since 1933. But that's a result of baseball signed a billion-dollar deal with Nike and said, can you help us attract younger fans? And for whatever you or I or, or any of the players think of those all-star uh, jerseys, um, they're sold out. And so, you know, you, you and, and what it was was baseball said, Okay, Nike, that's what you want to do. We trust yeah. you. Um, did, do you, 
when you say the shift, they'll outlaw the shift, will there be feet in the dirt by the infielders or will you be allowed at second base to say play short right field? What do you think? Yeah, I think they're going to ask people to stay. I, I don't know that you have to be on the dirt, but I think it's going right. to be close, close to that. Okay. And, 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 you know, again, it all has to be done in the context of, uh, of of a labor negotiation because I, I think baseball would like a universal DH, would like expanded playoffs. They've got a lot of work to do because the larger, the overall story is that the economics of the game are not in a good place right now. That um, players are younger players are playing more and more, but they're not getting paid. When you get to thirty, that previously was when you got your money. You're not going to get your money now, except in rare situations, because your production starts to decline at twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Yeah, that, I, I understand that. That that's that's the sticking point between the players and the owners, and I hope that gets money, money, out. money. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about the home run derby, which I love, which Wilbon, of course, doesn't, but I do. Uh, Pete Alonzo, when, when we were sitting around watching Pete Alonzo with his sort of dopey dance that he does, but boy, it seemed like he hit about 12 in a row out. I mean, he just killed it. He absolutely killed it. What do you think of him? I think when he won it, I guess it was last year. When he won it last year, it seemed like a coming out party for the whole New York Mets organization. This kid was so happy. He's so strong. And it was a showcase for him. And there were a couple of his teammates beside him. And a guy, a Mets executive, happened to be in the clubhouse and just whispered to me, oh, you know, because the Mets hadn't had a great run of publicity. And just said, oh, boy, do we need a night like this? He represents what yeah. we want to be. And, it, you know, it's not just a strength and a bat speed thing. It becomes a, a an endurance contest too, but you could tell those guys were exhausted. Well, that that what that leads into this question, the and, and I think it's an absolutely fair question. If you are Joe Madden, and you know Madden well, if you are Joe Madden, and you have Shohei Otani, and everybody wants to see him in the home run derby, are are you? Re- you probably have to let him be in it because America wants to see him. But are you happy that he's out in the first round? Are you fearful with the history of people who've done so well in the home run derby that their production dramatically drops off in the second half? What are you thinking if you're Madden? I think the way Joe Madden would see it, and I think this is the way he looks at the world is, is it a good thing for Shohei Otani? Is it a good thing for Major League Baseball? And it is, it is. a showcase. It is. And yes, it is. I mean, people, and, but what you said, uh, people noticed. Like I saw Jared Walsh after the game, his Angels teammate last night said, uh, "said uh, This guy's got a lot on his plate right now. You know, he's carrying carrying a country, <laughs> he's carrying a sport, and uh, we hope he carries a team." Yeah, I, he, I mean, I think the best result is what happened. He went out in the first round and didn't have to go two or three more rounds and bang it out there and get exhausted. And people, I was surprised. I mentioned this in the open of the show. I really wanted, I'm so happy that Scherzer was on the team. I'm so happy he started the recognition that he should have been out on the mound. And I wanted to see Scherzer pitch to Otani. I was pretty much done after that because I very specifically wanted to see that. What were your feelings about Scherzer's uh, renaissance that he went from not on the team to starter and that he got to, you know, and then he got to pitch to Otani. But doesn't it feel right that Max Scherzer starts the all-star game? He represents yes. all that we love about the game. I, I mean, that yes. was his fourth all-star start. Uh, I think only Robin Roberts, Lefty Gomez and Don Drysdale have made more all-star starts. That's Max's place in the game. Um, and to get to see him, uh, was it Vlad Jr. hit one right back through the middle? Almost him. killed him. <laughs> Almost killed him. <laughs> and he, you see what Max said after the game? He goes, well, I'm still here. I still have a brown eye and a blue eye, so I'm good. That's the kind, like if you're drawing a cartoon, Vlad Guerrero's pitch hits Scherzer in the stomach and lifts him out of the stadium. You know, I mean, it just it came back well, so fast. Do you, by the way, on just to broaden this out a little bit on on a, a an actual baseball topic, do you think the Cubs are going to sell these people off, Rizzo and yeah. Baez and and Davis? Do you? I, I do, and it's it's a bold wow. thing to do. And I think Craig Kimbrell is going to be the number one trade deadline 
a target for every team. Every team needs bullpen help. I, I don't know that there's a starting pitcher everybody's excited about, but it, but Craig Kimbrell's going to be the guy everybody wants. And they flirted with this idea of Bryant and Rizzo and even Baez for a couple of years. They need to be retooled. And, you know, nothing like an 11-game losing streak to kind of slap you into where you actually are. What was it Parcell said? You are what your record is. And sometimes you need yeah. a wake-up call. So, I mean, it has the endorsement of Wilbon, who says that people in Chicago are so grateful for what had happened and realized that this has to be done. But the flip side of that is, you know, we've watched teams in a variety of sports that are in rebuild mode for six to eight years. You know, it's, it, it's not an automatic, like the, the Houston Astros. It doesn't necessarily work. The Astros, I think, did it in four years, and they did it spectacularly but it doesn't there are teams that rebuild forever what are your thoughts on that you don't know you're in you're into uncharted waters you know everybody said we got it it's time to turn the page well you have a different architect theo epstein is no longer there you have a different manager joe madden is no longer there how did they get anthony rizzo they'd had a guy they'd had theo said when they got there theo epstein said when they got there they looked up at their board and said look at our look at our board we don't, we don't have a an impact player anywhere in the organization. They trade for Rizzo. Turned out to be better than they could have ever imagined. Yep. yep. Javi Baez becomes a great player. They're able to draft Chris Bryant, who's everything they hoped for and more. They traded for Ben Zobers. I mean, putting together a championship team is so – I mean, there's, a, there's an element of luck in there that you look up after it's over – and you say, okay, this guy was huge, but we didn't even know this guy was huge. You know, and then John Lester becomes a free agent at exactly the right time. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, you don't know when you're going to be back. And, th- and I, I say this with all due respect to the ownership there and Jed, Jed Horio, who's a great executive, very respected. You just don't know that you're going to catch lightning in a bottle. You know, I, I, th- I think it's, you've heard NFL coaches say it forever. When you have a special year, you don't even know – how it happens, you don't know when you lose it, how you lose it, uh, but when you have it, you better embrace it. And maybe that's what Michael's talking about. Like, we still got 2016. We were pretty good then. I remember people would call the Washington Post to complain, and you, and you, when you would answer the phone, you go, "Yeah, but Watergate, we did good on that, didn't we?" <laughs> yeah, so we we still have we we still have our memories. Yeah. Um, You know baseball very, very well. You know uh, how it works on the reset after an all-star game. Do you think that the league management of the league, Rob Manfred down, will be as stringent on goop in the second half of the season as they were the last couple of weeks? Or do you think that will fade a little bit? No, I think they're still going to look. I think think the players are going to just hand them the glove and the hat and say, okay, let's get this over with. You know, the confrontations are awkward. The umpires don't want to be in this position. But you do have the data that will tell you if the spin rates are down. That's the one thing I thought about. If Garrett Cole's spin rate's down 500 in the first inning, I don't think you have to check him. So there is that. But I hope we get away from the policing part of it. But, you know, like I told you, I, I I didn't like the look, but I didn't know what the alternative was. You had guys... You had guys throwing the ball 105 miles an hour that had thrown at 92 fire, and you had to do something to get the offense had left the game. Uh, any two teams that you look at and you say, right now, halfway done, these are the World Series teams? Yeah, I think the Dodgers are, are in, in the National League. Uh, they are the best team. American League is a little cloudier. I think Oakland's capable. The Astros and Rays are probably the two best teams, the Astros have a bunch of young pitchers that may be about to hit a wall. The Yankees are always a, a team to watch because how will they handle a bad second half? But, but I think in the, I think in the, in the National League, the division favorites are, are pretty clear-cut that it's going to be the Brewers, Dodgers, and Mets, and then probably the, the Padres and Giants get the other two spots. You know, I, well, I, Houston, yeah, Houston's I mean, certainly really the Nats... You look at the Nats, they just went 2-9 and nine against the best three teams in the West. You know, the who's kidding gonna, who? They, yeah, <laughs> They're not going to make won, it. Yeah. You know, same way, they won in 2019. They're going to finish fourth this year. They have a lot of work to do. Trey Turner's yeah. a great player. You know, I, I mean, I think other than, since the first month, Josh Bell's been okay. Schwarber's been kind of amazing. They have a lot of work to do. 
Thank you, Richie. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Tony. Richard Justice, boys and girls. It's always a pleasure to have him on the show. We will take a break. Steve Sands will join us when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the Policy Genius ad. Are you ready for some fireworks? Not the ones popping off outside your window until 2 a.m. We're talking about the fireworks you feel when you finally get life insurance coverage. There's no better time than now to apply for life insurance because it's not just temperatures that are rising. Life insurance rates can go up each year you wait to buy. If someone relies on your financial support, whether it's a child, an aging parent, <clears throat> or even a business partner, you need life insurance. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare quotes from over a dozen top insurers all in one place. You can save 50% or more on life insurance by comparing quotes with Policy Genius. You could save $1,300 or more per year on life insurance by using Policy Genius to compare policies. The licensed experts at Policy Genius work for you, not the insurance company, so you can trust them to help you navigate every step of the shopping and the buying process. That kind of service has earned Policy Genius thousands of five-star reviews across Trustpilot and Google. Getting started is easy. First head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much life insurance coverage you need and compare personalized quotes to find your best price. When you're ready to apply, the Policy Genius team will handle the paperwork and scheduling for free. Policy Genius never sells your information to other companies. Head to policygenius.com to get started right now. Policy Genius, when it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is music from Brian Gregory in San Francisco. This is called Jillian, We Were Taken, and this is his ongoing songwriting project, Mockery and Robbery, which sounds like a fabulous name for a law firm, Mockery and Robbery. Wonderful. Michael, if people like Brian Gregory want to send us original music, how do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at com. So Steve Sands joins us now, and Steve is covering the British Open from Royal Stanford, which is an RNA course in Connecticut, not exactly England. <laughs> and in the interests of full disclosure, we're taping this on Tuesday, even though the rest of the podcast is being done on Wednesday. What, what is, how is it going to work? You're going to watch this. You're going to be doing the work by watching the broadcast, which is a lot like what baseball announcers have been doing for a year and a half, right? Yeah, it's going to be really, really bizarre. By the way, can I just tell you that the most astounding thing about your podcast, Tony, yeah. is the fact that anywhere and everywhere I go, somebody yells La Cheeserie to me. But the second most astounding thing to me in your podcast, the talent level of the people who send in music to you oh, it's great. is it's great. absolutely remarkable. Brian Gregory, everybody else, the music is fabulous. When I'm flying and I listen to your shows, I wait till the end of the podcast and listen to it. It's amazing how talented yeah. these people are who send in the music. It's amazing. But anyway, so we'll talk golf. You know, I talked to, you know, Bob was shoes in the play-by-play college, yes. football, college basketball guy at ESPN. Yeah, yeah. So throughout the football and basketball season, college and uh, football and college basketball, Bob would be doing a game from his basement in New York that was in Lawrence, Kansas, or wherever he was. And I used to text him and say, God, how difficult is that? Because, Tony, as you know, being in the booth of Monday Night Football, uh, I don't know if you have any other experience doing live sports in a booth like that, but I know you did at Monday Night Football. The energy matters. You know, yes. the, the ambiance of the crowd matters. And to not be at Royal St. George's this week uh, for the first time ever doing this, you all know, be calling holes, uh, 4, 7, 12, 17. And I'm like, you know, don't talk to the guys, don't walk the course, don't see the humps and bumps to myself, don't talk to the officials, the caddies, uh, when we're calling it uh, in a studio this week uh, in Stamford, Connecticut, as opposed to being there where you're hearing the crowd, feeling the crowd, understanding the weather, being there, the conditions, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be really strange. So I asked Bob about it, and Bob said you just have to kind of fight through, you know, that lack of energy that you're going to have in a sterile studio and just try to remember what it's like to be out there. If somebody makes a long birdie or an eagle or makes a great shot out of the bunker or whatever the case may be. So it'll be, it'll be bizarre for us, but we'll, we'll get through it. It'll be no big deal. Yeah, this is Tim Kirch in the last year and a half of his life. 
exactly. goes to a studio and calls games. I mean, it's it's not he's not out on the field. Well, I will, I'll put the over under seventy five times the the number of times that you mentioned the Himalayan bunker. You take that. <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of Himalayan bunker mentions. Yes. So that was Michael was telling me that was where Thomas Bjorn lost the two. No, that, that was the that was the par three. This is a oh. famous bunker off the tee. This is I think oh. on, on number four, right, Steve? Okay. Yeah, exactly. That'll be uh, that's that's my hole actually. So yeah. as I was doing some stuff for it, I was flying home from Tahoe. Uh, from the celebrity event last week. I was flying home yesterday, and I was kind of looking at some stuff online in between taking naps on the plane listening to you guys' podcast. Uh, by the way, the Pat Forty describing daughter qualifying and great. having to wait great. and all those races. Oh, my so goodness great. gracious. Good. So great. Pat, if you're listening, good luck to you and your daughter, and uh, I hope it's a great trip over there, and congratulations. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was reading about that, Michael, and the Himalayan bunker is uh, between that and the Thomas Bjorn bunker, uh, it should be a very active week at Royal St. George's. So I've been to Royal St. George's. I covered a British Open, which I'll get to in a second, in 1985. I'll get to that. But, Michael, you've played Royal St. George's. I have. How did wow. you do? So we, we were there in the summer of 2004. This was with the Swifts Tour, and I played the year after Ben Curtis won. But it was it was a heat wave, and you'd, you could only differentiate the holes when you'd actually step up to the tees and you'd have these long views. Beautiful long views, benches in every hole, but you, you really couldn't figure out where the routings were as it crisscrosses around this, you know, this lynx land that goes back to the water. My big memory, though, is this. We were 18-year-old American kids. We go out as a four ball. We almost get chased off the course because that day was foursomes only. And, of course, at the time, we didn't know the difference between foursomes and a four ball. So, <laughs> so when I was there, this is a true story. Uh, everything I'm going to say is true. I hope, so, I hope you tell the great story from 85, Tony. Well, I don't know what the great story is, but I will tell you that on, at one point, I am driving, uh, I'm doing columns, and John Feinstein is doing game stories. We're right. over there for the Washington Post. And we are driving from whatever the name of the town is in order to get to sandwich, Royal St. Sing- right. Sandwich, right, Sandwich, that's right. We're driving from Sandwich, which is right on the south western or southeastern coast of england southeastern coast of england about two three hours south of london and we're driving and i say junior when you know where's this course and he said we've been on it the last five minutes i didn't even know we were driving through it it does not or did not look anything like an american course that was the year that sandy lyle won and we had a house we had a house in sandwich and every morning I got up and took a shower and used all the hot water. And Feinstein had to bathe himself in cold water for four or five straight days and was very angry at that. And we also went, Steve, we went to the same restaurant every single night and persuaded yep. the owner of the restaurant to cook meals for us that would be simulated American meals. In other words, they would boil everything or cook it till it was dead dead beyond any reason and we said could you cook these things a little bit more rare could you make these vegetables a little bit crispier and by the end of the five or six days that we were there this guy had basically become an american cook because he actually liked the taste of the food that we asked him to make so but sandy lyle won that's his only major right sandy lyle only won the open no, hold on now, Tony. He had no. one of the most famous shots ever at Augusta. Well, I guess left, Masters. Left yeah. 18. Remember when he won the Masters? Yeah, he made them. That's right. He won the Masters and the Open. Yeah. That's right. He's got the, two. Uh, yeah. I mean, Sandy Lyle was a great, great player. By the way, I, I, as many times as I've gone over to England and Scotland, the UK, when they when you order a burger or a steak, I mean, the food stinks over there. Let's face it. It's, it's a wonderful it's place. But dreadful. The food stinks. It's okay. Terrible. It's okay. It's not that bad. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure... <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of places where the weather stinks, but it's a nice place, whatever. So the food stinks. <laughs> I go over there and they say, like a burger or a steak, and they say, okay, how would you like it cooked? It said, as is. <laughs> because <laughs> if they just take it out of the package, to them, that's medium well. <laughs> and then once they cook it, oh, my God, it's like a it's, brick. Yeah. But the, the better thing that happened at 85, I thought you were going to go there, go ahead. is so Sandy Lyle wins. You know, Feinstein has to take a lot of cold showers, and I can promise you there are a lot of people who are very happy to hear that he did not have cold hot water for an entire week. <laughs> um, and, if he's listening, we kid because we love. Yes. We kid because we care, of course. Yeah. So it's Sunday at Royal St. George's, 1985. Peter Jacobson's either in the second or third to last group. 
And Peter's known as a funny guy, and he was a very yes. accomplished player. Won, won a lot of tournaments. I think he won eight PGA Tour events. Was in the mix at majors. Uh, clearly was in the mix at this one at 85 at Royal St. George's. And a streaker came out. And he was naked, completely naked, and he comes running around the green. And the Bobbies are trying to get him, and the fans are cheering loud, and you know, everybody's going crazy. And Peter's just standing beside the 18th green. And he kind of looks over at his caddy, who's Fluff Cowan, who caddies now for oh, Jim Furyk. sure. He's the caddy for Tiger. Uh, Tiger Woods. And he looks at him and goes, you know what? If these guys can't, the Bobbies, they're running around with their hats on, the whole deal, trying to catch him. And Peter's like, if these guys can't catch him, he takes another lap. I'm going to get him. And Mike's like, what? Mike Fluff Cowan's <laughs> like, what? And sure enough, he absolutely gets in there like he's Dick Butkus and just wow. drills the guy. So the next morning, so when, you remember when you used to go to the Open, Tony? Then on, on Monday morning at the Open, it's one of the great kind of airport scenes in all the sports. Everyone is flying out of the same airport. That's and right. Everyone is flying on Monday morning. So literally everybody who was at the Open, players, caddies, officials, writers, TV people, radio people, everybody, the, the tour, the European tour, the RNA, everybody's in that airport. So the next morning, Peter's in the airport, you know, everybody's bleary-eyed, blah, blah, blah. And he's looking at the London Times and all these papers, and he's thinking, oh, Sandy Lyle, you know, a U.K. guy wins the Open, that kind of thing. Nope. Front page of every paper is Peter's face scrunched up against some guy's <laughs> butt and other parts <laughs> of his body. Because he literally had a perfect tackle. Literally a picture-perfect tackle. Nick Saban would be so proud of that tackle. And Peter said, of all the memorabilia in his house, trophies and all kinds of pictures and all kinds of things that he's done in his wonderful career, he has that one framed up somewhere in the basement of his house in Oregon, and he said it's just one of his prized possessions of his face, like to some naked guy with a perfect clean tackle there. That's a wonderful story. That I mean, that's a wonderful story. What I remember most about Sandy Lyle, by the way, is he seemed to always wear brown shirts. He was not a well-dressed golfer, not by any means. Nice enough fella, but not well-dressed. But what you're talking about reminds me of what happened last week in the Scottish Open, where that guy yeah. walks up on number 10 where Rory is, tries to take Rory's driver, ends up with the head cover, gets another club, and goes up on the tee box as if to hit the cover of the of the driver and it took more than 30 seconds for security to get there that is steve that's so frightening isn't it <laughs> not only is it but i got so i'm out in tahoe and i and i see this and i'm getting all of these texts from as you can imagine from all of our friends who play and our caddies on the pga tour and poor harry diamond all right harry diamond is rory's childhood friend who's been his caddy for a long time is a wonderful guy. Like Rory, could not be a nicer guy. And I think the problem that everyone in golf had is, hang on a second, first tee, Scottish Open, one of the most famous players in the world. A, how does a guy just walk out there? Not yeah. run, walk out there without security being around. And B, no offense to Harry, but I mean, I can tell you about a dozen caddies who would have literally floored that guy. You don't talk yes. Someone's clubs. Michael knows this. I don't care whether you were at the the girls' junior at Columbia last week or whether you are at the Open Championship this week. You do not let anyone touch your clubs. And if someone touches your clubs, you got to have a, a stronger reaction than what Rory and Harry had. He just picked it right out of there, took a couple practice swings. Then the security people got him. They put the club back in the bag. To me, that club is soiled, man. I'm, I don't want an amateur touching my club when I'm about to go try to win a golf tournament. That was a bizarre moment. It was completely bizarre. We wanted to do the story on PTI, and they wouldn't release the video. And if you don't have the video, oh, really? you can't do the story. Right. Um, the, the people at the Scottish Open... Our thinking was they didn't want to do it because it was embarrassing, completely no. embarrassing. Yes, it was on social media, but we needed permission to use it and yeah, could not get it. We That's couldn't get bad, it. That would, I would have loved to have heard you and Wilpon and what well, your we, takes would have been. We would have, we would have gone That's crazy. Bad. I mean, yeah, we went well, crazy sure. earlier in the day when we hoped we'd be able to use it and we couldn't. By the way, what is the percentage? This is It's the British Open. It's called the Open, not... You know, yeah. it's just the open. What is the percentage right. of European players that actually win this? Is it a higher percentage than I might think or a lower percentage? Because I would say maybe 15 to 20 percent, but maybe it's higher. 
an Englishman hasn't won in England since Faldo, I believe. I believe that was 93, maybe, 92, and 93. And uh, I think Tony Jacklin, no, he's the last Englishman to win it. I think he won it at Muirfield in 92, and that was in Scotland. I don't think an Englishman's won it in England since Tony Jacklin in 69. I mean, wow. you know, European, you know, Rory's won it um, recently. Uh, he won it in 2014, but... Francesco Molinari's from Italy. He won it a few years ago when he held Darren up Clark won it. Darren, Darren Clark, Clark was he's Irish. He played here. Yeah, right. He won it last time. It was here at Royal St. George's. Uh, that was in 2011. So yeah, I mean, Europeans have won it, but for the most part, you know, like everything else uh, in the sport, it's kind of you know, it's 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 a worldwide thing. Norman won it twice. Uh, he's you know, obviously he's Australian, and a bunch of Americans have won it, but. Uh, if if an Englishman could win in England, oh, remember how Rory, remember how tight Rory was a couple of years ago at, in Northern Ireland when he didn't make he the cut. Didn't make the yeah, cut. He didn't make the, the first cut. tee shot. Hit the first tee shot out of bounds. Yeah, uh, was a mess the whole time. It's hard to win in your own country. There, it's different than an American trying to win in the U.S. I don't know why that is, but in England to win it. Englishman to win it in England, like say Tommy Fleetwood this week, oh, the place would go absolutely bananas. What kind of course is it in terms of favoring a certain type of player? You know, a lot of people, now this week's different because the weather leading up to the week, the weather's going to be very good for the week. Uh, in 2011, it was really bad one day with Darren Clark, but for the most part it was dry and it was firm and fast. In 2003 when Ben Curtis won it, it was really firm and fast. This week is a little softer, but that means that the rough is a lot thicker than it normally would be because it's a little more lush there because they've had so much rain. So to me, it favors a guy. If you could, You're going to miss fairways here. It's humps and bumps everywhere. It's known as the most difficult of all the rotation, uh, the open championship courses in the rotation. And it's because of the humps and bumps. You're going to get weird bounces like you do at all opens. But this one in particular... The fairways just seem a little bit more on the unfair side uh, than they do on the fair side. So if you can hit it in the short grass as often as possible, you're going to give yourself a lot more chances to score. So to me, the greens are slower. Everybody knows that. In and around the greens isn't that big of a deal. But if you keep it out of the rough here this week, uh, you're going to have a chance to score, especially if the weather is the way it's supposed to be, which is pretty good. So to me, if you're a, a good driver of the golf ball, I think you're going to give yourself more chances to score here this week than if you're someone who hits it more sideways off the tee. Okay, so the last two majors we've talked, I've asked you to pick somebody, and you keep picking Leishman. I'm not allowing <laughs> you to pick Leishman. I'm not. You cannot no, no, pick you Leishman or Kokrak. Kokrak or Leishman, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, you, you wanted someone off the board. So if you're going to say right. off the board, then I'm going to give you a flyer. I'm not taking Leishman or Kokrak this week. Thank you. Who do you got? I think two guys from way off the pack, way out of bounds, uh, have a chance to, to make some noise this week. Mackenzie Hughes is a Canadian, did not handle Sunday at Torrey Pines well when he was in that big spot. However, he's played well since then. It didn't, like, crash his year that he didn't succeed on right. that Sunday at Torrey Pines. He's a Canadian who hits the ball really crisply, and I think Mackenzie Hughes has a chance to play well this week. I also think there's a guy way off the board from Germany named Matthias Schmidt. Played collegiately here in the United States. He won earlier this year on the European Tour. Yeah, he's way off the board, like, you know, 5,000 to 1 or something like that. Okay. But, you know, if you wanted to take someone in the hundreds, that kind of thing, but a little higher than 100 in the official World Golf Ranking, take a look at Francesco Molinari. He's played a little bit better. Michael knows this. He hits the ball wonderfully. And, you know, he was the reigning Open champion when he went to the Masters in 2019 and rinsed his ball at 12, allowing Tiger to go on to win on that Sunday. And it kind of wrecked Molinari. Well, he's played a little bit better of late, and this golf course in particular suits him very well. And with Italy winning the Euro Cup, even though yes. penalty kicks, and I disagree with you, Tony, penalty kicks suck. You cannot have a big final like that. You cannot have a big final like that decided by penalty kicks. Play it out. If it ends like Pat LaFontaine and at 4 a.m. in the middle of the night, then go ahead. But play it out. But anyway, with Italy winning the Euro final, and I'm not a soccer guy at all, couldn't tell you one thing about the sport. 
Italy, <laughs> Italy could win another Open Championship. Francesco Molinari could be a good dark horse. So take those three if you're going to be playing anybody off the board. That's wonderful. Enjoy it from Royal Stanford. Uh, <laughs> just, in, just enjoy it with the bangers and mash that I'm sure they're going to serve at Royal Stanford. Enjoy the burger yeah. as is. Yeah, as it'll is. Be the first, it'll be the first time in my, exactly, it'll be the first time in my professional career calling an open championship. First of all, I'm not doing the interviews, which is going to be really weird uh, because I'm not allowed to be there. But calling holes and being able to say, yeah, can I get another uh, a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A, please? That's going to be the strangest <laughs> thing ever. Get to not have lousy food, to actually have good food and, and almost normal hours. Calling holes at an open championship is kind of bizarre. Very weird. Thank you, Steve. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks very much. All right, guys. Be good. Take care. Steve Sands, boys and girls. Um, as I said, we are taping this on Tuesday afternoon. And when you're listening to this, it's Wednesday. So we will leave this and go straight to email and jingle. I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. He's got your emails and your notes. He'll read them for all you folks. Cause it's the mailbag. Yeah, it's the mailbag. If you drive a Sean, that is wonderful. I should I should say before we ask Michael to do the Bethesda Bagel ad that as we have said before, we taped Sands yesterday. So it's possible, and I don't know this, it's possible that Nigel, who was with us yesterday and has disappeared into the ether today, that you would have heard Nigel's voice in the in the Steve Sands thing. And you would say, well, if Nigel's not there, how did this happen? Well, again, we taped out of order because we have full disclosure. But our full disclosure doesn't allow us to tell you what happened to Nigel today because mm. we don't even understand it, right? Let's, we don't. Let's check with Billing. You know, we don't know where he is and what he's doing, whether he's... You know, just eating and drinking on the run, maybe on his way to Mexico. We don't know. So, Michael, you need to do the Bethesda Bagel ad. Oh, thanks, Mr. Tony. Yes, Bethesda <laughs> Bagels. We love Bethesda Bagels. <laughs> Located throughout the D.C. area, we go to the one on Bethesda Avenue. No, in all seriousness, we, we don't give uh, hot dog bagels enough love, so let's go try the, the dog bagel. Do they have those? Oh, yeah. That's not something I would do, but that's good. All right, that's just about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just quote the Beatles. When I call you up, your lines engaged. I've had enough, so act your age. We have lost the time that was so hard to find, and I will lose my mind if you won't see me. Oh, Beatles were so good. Uh, thanks to our guests today, Steve Sands and Richard Justice. Thanks to our sponsors, Vincero and Policy Genius. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. And let's get to some of these things. This is one that's been laying around for a while, and I never got to it. I want to. My name is David Greger, or Gregger, G-R-A-G-E-R, in Youngstown, Ohio. I'm a millennial in Youngstown, Ohio. Over the weekend, we had funeral services for my grandfather, who passed away from complications from Parkinson's. As my family and I said our final goodbyes, I noticed someone had put in a payday bar into his casket. I had not known he enjoyed payday bars, but it made me smile and think of the show. I asked around and I learned that the nurse's aide that helped him at his house would sneak him a candy bar or another sweet once a week to keep him in good spirits. Thank you for indirectly helping me smile on an otherwise tough weekend. That's wonderful. That's just a wonderful email. From Pete in Truckee, California. As a big San Francisco Giants fan, I was looking forward to playing the Nats and listening to you complain on the pod about the bullpen. He certainly enjoyed it. Somehow, Wander Suero pitched a scoreless inning, and the Nats pitching proved to be surprisingly good. It wasn't the horrific base running by Victor Robles that proved to be the highlight of the series. It was instead the extended shot on the national Fox broadcast of the Wall of Fame. With my family gathered around the television, I was able to pause the game and show them your name on the wall. Hey, you saw Oli the goalie. I felt a strange sense of pride as we gazed at your name. That's what he means by Hofwaff, asked my 13-year-old daughter. She does listen to the show, even if it's against her will. Does the show have a lifeguard? I'm certified. I'd be happy to serve as the official lifeguard of the show. I'd even save Saliza. We are looking for, for some swimming lessons for a certain four-year-old. Yes, we are. Uh, Carl Lindum. 
in Middlebury, Vermont. Middlebury is is NESCAC yeah. territory, right? Yeah, J-term. Amy went there. Amy went to Middlebury. Amy and Josh went to Middlebury. Michael's problems with glassware, finding the right wine glass at his in-laws, struck a chord. In college, I was invited to meet the parents of my girlfriend at the time. I grew up in Lewiston, Maine. She grew up in Manhattan. Her parents had a small dinner party in my honor, three adult couples and the two of us. The only beverage served was wine. I declined the wine as I was only 20 and I was playing basketball on the college team and we had training rules. Between courses, they brought out small glasses of water, which I was glad to see. I drank mine right down. To my astonishment, the other guests daintily dipped their fingers into these water glasses. Yes, I drank the finger bowl. I'd never seen a finger bowl in Lewiston, Maine. They also had bidets in their bathroom, another concept entirely new to me, but that's another story. That college girlfriend is not the woman to whom I've been related by marriage, neither of them. But the finger bowl faux pas is not the reason. Yeah, don't we are from, still friends. Don't drink from that bubbler. It's just so great. Anna Walsh in Georgetown, Kentucky. We are currently on the homeward portion of a road trip out west, a trip we've been dreaming of for years. As always, your podcast has kept us laughing through long hours of cornfields, canyons, and our two sons bickering and smelly feet. After visiting San Francisco, L.A., and San Diego, we had planned on visiting friends in Phoenix. However, they unfortunately had a recent death in their extended family, and we found out two days ago we wouldn't get to stay with them after all. As we sat in our hotel room, I told our two boys we might make a much-needed visit to a laundromat while in Phoenix, since we really didn't have anything planned for the night. We've been on the road 12 days as I write this, and the dirty sock situation has spiraled out of control. Upon hearing this, our eight-year-old son declared, but mom, we can just go visit Wilbon's house. My husband and I burst out laughing and tried to explain no, that we couldn't pay Wilbon a visit. It all goes to show that at least to our boys, you and Wilbon are like part of the family. We visited you at Chatter a few years back during our spring break trip to DC, and I guess some FaceTime with you uh, with one of you is now expected on our road trips. Thanks for all the laughs on and off the air. P.S. The only thing I've ever paid $300 for is my electric bill. It's a shot at the Revolution Toaster, the greatest toaster ever made. A panini um, press. Yes. We, oh, we, next week. Oh, yeah. uh, John from Manhattan writes, so I'm on the 12th hole at Deepdale today. My partner Jimmy and I had just won the last two holes. We're feeling pretty good. Jimmy and I had just met the day before. Shout out to Mike G for the connection. It's at that point when I turn to my partner Jimmy and I, I say, I'm dealing with some Mishigas at work. He, not being a member of the tribe, says, I don't know what that is, but is it similar to Shaputzva? Immediately, I realize he's a little. I respond with a hearty lachiserie, and from there, we were unstoppable. The next six holes were filled with inside jokes about Kip's winter weather forecast, Carvel's lines, and Chris Saliza. The instant connection clearly rattled our opponents. We won big and celebrated with a TK salute. Thought you'd get a kick out of Little's dominating on the course. Jimmy and I would be happy to extend an invite to you and Michael the next time you're on Strong Island. We can offer... Oh, it should be Long Island, but he calls no, it no, Strong Island. Yeah, Strong Island is yeah, something different. Okay. We can offer Deepdale, Glen Oaks, or if you make your way east, at Atlantic. I've played Deepdale. It's beautiful. I've played Atlantic. It's terrific. Larry Brown, member at Atlantic. Bonus offer, if you ever make it to Bandon Dunes, Jimmy says stop at his spot in Oregon, the legendary Waverly Country Club. I'll hang up and listen. Are you familiar? What Strong Island? What no, is? It's not for you. Don't worry about oh, it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Maybe um, in your younger days. Tom Pace, PhD, Associate Professor of English, Director of First Year Writing at John Carroll University, writes: An update on the piano lessons I began six weeks ago. I can now find notes on the keys, play around with a five-note scale, and have begun to read music as a, at a rudimentary, and I mean rudimentary level. My biggest joy, to the increasing frustration of my 14-year-old daughter, is that I picked out the melody to Penny Lane and with a little help from my friends, and play both whenever I get the chance to her ever-increasing ire. I'm a big Beatles fan of my daughter. Well, she's not. Wait until I start reading Louise Gluck aloud to her. Being a dad is fun. I have found that learning piano, not unlike learning how to write, can be learned with daily practice. I try to play 15 to 20 minutes a day. I must not be making too much of a nuisance of myself because the woman to whom I'm related by marriage has signed me up for another eight weeks. All the best, Tom Pace. From Rob Perez in Santa Barbara, California. I just overheard my coworker in the office next to mine getting frustrated while navigating a call-in voice system. And I jokingly yelled out, representative. Then I heard an automated, thank you, one of our representatives will be with you shortly, to which my colleague says, hey, thanks. There's nobody I wanted to share this with more than you and the other littles who are listening today. This also gives me a chance to thank you for the decades of entertainment. I've just recorded 
almost every PTI episode since the beginning. I always watch it the following day during my lunch break. The woman to whom I'm related by marriage has also seen just about every episode with me and will often recite Wilbon's final line of each show and say goodbye to the knuckleheads. Since the pandemic lockdown, I've been walking my dog a lot more around our Subaru-infested neighborhood, and that is when I catch up on the show while counting the numbers on license plates, of course. Whenever I pull out the leash, I tell my dog it's time to go for a walk with Uncle Tony. Finally, if Bill Simmons ever reviews That Thing You Do on the Rewatchables podcast, I want to start the campaign now to have you as a guest on the pod. I think you would have so much fun discussing one of the most perfect movies of our time with him and his crew. It would be podcast gold. All the best to you and the crew, even Saliza, who I actually enjoy listening to. Thank you, Rob. If you're out on your bike time, everyone, as always, do wear white. And uh, tell me, you brought three of your friends. Could you please introduce Yes, there's George Palasol, <clears throat> Ringo Stone, and Paul Macharmley. Walls are peeling, the farmhouse is broken. Another summer night on Mission Street. The chill in the air, and the fog on the morning. Ship slipping down to the sea. We may live on the edge of destruction. We may walk out the ends of the Still love this 